Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You're tuned to the Steve Donahue Show on CPL Radio, your one-stop daily source for Steve's take on the world of books. And now your host, the book critic who literally reads everything, Steve Donahue. Greetings, fellow patrons of the Cedarburg Public Library, and welcome back to the Steve Donahue Show, where we chat about bookish views, news, and reviews for no constructive purpose whatsoever. <laughs> we'll start today with a bit of fascinating bookish news, and it's got me thinking even more than it ordinarily might have done because I recently got a nice little checky poo in the mail. It's amazing how events can change the long-standing givens in your world. For most of my working life, as is true with every other wretched freelancer who's ever eked out a living with a pen, the arrival of a checky poo in the mail would have been a cause of pure joy, particularly in this case, where the payment was for a job done almost a year ago and long since forgotten. But not in 2020, when an actual printed check feels like some weird kind of cumbersome, dangerous anachronism, like a hernia wire or a boil spike. A printed check has not only had contact with the outside world, and here in the U.S., that outside world is absolutely teeming with COVID-19, but a printed check also requires even more contact with the outside world, what with endorsing and schlepping it to the bank and whatnot. And this checky-poo had one other oddity all its own, an accompanying note from a bewildered sub-editor wondering if the check even belonged to me in the first place. Uh, it turns out that a variety of reasons, mainly having to do with my then-editor's awkward social life, had prompted me to write the piece in question under a pseudonym. I put the whole thing out of my mind and moved on to the next project, but unfortunately, in the meantime, my then-editor also put the whole project out of his mind. And then, well, <laughs> for reasons perhaps not unconnected with his awkward social life, he then popped his clogs and moved on to the next life, <laughs> leaving precious little behind in the way of instructions for his harried sub-editor when it came to his, the strange names on the payroll. It all worked out in the end, although one enduring hardship of 2020 is that although I'm perfectly free to bore you, 
over the Cedarburg airwaves with that tedious story, I'm no longer quite so free to bore the bank teller with the same story. The plague has been pointedly hard on chatty Cathy's like yours truly. Uh, you know, my producer in his control booth holds up a sign telling me that the Steve Donahue show is not, in fact, going out on airwaves, it being internet radio and all. Uh, but I suspect he's been drinking early today. So we need pay him no mind. <laughs> but even so, uh, I was therefore primed to think about pseudonyms when I learned about our bit of bookish news for today. The Reclaim Her Name project that's been launched by the Women's Prize for Fiction. In order to celebrate their 25th anniversary, they've chosen 25 works by women that were originally published under male pseudonyms and have repackaged them under their author's real names. My very first reaction to hearing about this project was a small, uh, shall we say, prick of annoyance. <laughs> the quick and faint assumption of some scolding point being scored by fourth or maybe even fifth wave feminists against the capital P patriarchy. But no, we're going to have to wait until a little bit later in this episode for that kind of broad brush bigotry. Instead, what Reclaim Her Name seeks to do is jostle our complacency as readers to remind us that some pseudonyms are more voluntary than others. The list includes Indiana by Amantine Dupin, who a previous century knew as George Sand. Uh, it includes A Phantom Lover by Violet Paget, who a previous century knew as Vernon Lee. And right there in the center spotlight, there's Middlemarch by Marianne Evans, who's known to the literary canon as George Eliot. As you might have picked up from some of those descriptions, Middlemarch stands alone, on the Reclaim Her Name list in terms of recognizability. Uh, there are no voluntary, non-academic readers of Vernon Lee, or in English anyway, Georges Sand, anymore, and they are downright luminaries compared to all the other ladies included here. For reasons known only to themselves, the editors chose to pass over Louisa May Alcott, Karen Blixen, and not one, not two, but all three Bronte sisters. Instead, readers are introduced to such figures as Francis Rowland Whipper, who wrote The Life and Public Services of Martin Delaney under the name of Frank Rollin and thereby became the first African-American to publish a full-dress biography. Uh, they meet Alice Dunbar Nelson, poet, journalist, and fierce civil rights advocate, who wrote Ye Game of and Play of Chess under the name Monroe Wright. And they meet the tragic, fascinating Violet Nicholson, uh, Nicholson uh, who wrote the, the poems of The Garden of Kama under the name Lawrence Hope. Most of these writers will be unknown, even to longtime fans of the Women's Prize, and several of them richly deserve rediscovery. And all the better if that rediscovery happens under their own names. No matter what their separate motivations were for taking male pseudonyms, whether to game a publishing system that heavily favored men, or to avoid the social stigma of writing for pay, or simply to stay unincarcerated and alive, I don't think there's any doubt whatsoever that if all of those different women were alive and writing in 2020, they'd be publishing under their own names. As odd as it sounds, I think a rereading of Middlemarch with Marianne Evans's name on the cover would be an invigorating kind of revelation, and a long overdue one at that. Uh, if we move from bookish news to bookish reviews, however, unfortunately, we mostly swap out invigoration for regular old irritation. Uh, we'll once again be dealing here briefly with four best-selling titles that are garnering a lot of attention, uh, and we'll also once again be dealing with a fair amount of obnoxious agita as we do so. Uh, starting off with a book of the moment, uh, Robin D'Angelo's White Fragility, in which the author purports to examine the roots of white resistance to the very idea of progress towards racial equality. 
In page after shrill, hectoring, incredibly condescending page, she clarifies for her white readers that their resistance comes from a very simple source, outright active clan sheet on the weekends open racism. In the world of white fragility, every single white person is a racist, and the only possible path to resumption is through public shaming and unending penance. No matter how sincerely and successfully they might have grappled with their own upbringings and their own assumptions, every single one of her white, white readers is told that they aren't allowed to remain silent on the subject of racism, and they also aren't allowed to speak on the subject of racism. Instead, all they're allowed to do is enthusiastically accept whatever punishment enlightened folk choose to mete out. And the most canny part of the book is that it, its rhetorical construction preempts any attempt at objecting to this kind of ridiculous, blatantly racist reductionism. If you complain, you see, you're merely confirming the author's point. You're exhibiting white fragility. For this reviewer's part, if I have to choose between publicly calling myself the racist I most certainly am not, or being accused of white fragility by a race-baiting huckster, uh, I won't have any trouble making that choice. And speaking of hucksters, how not to mention uh, Too Much and Never Enough by Donald Trump's niece, Mary. If you've seen any of Mary Trump's innumerable appearances on every single cable news show in Christendom, you might have noticed her body language and her one single facial expression. And you may have had the same visceral response that I did. This person is lying. Actually reading Too Much and Never Enough certainly won't dispel that impression. I'm not talking here about the various sordid contentions she makes about Donald Trump in the course of the book, and I'm not saying those contentions aren't true. Given that Trump is a racist, sexist moron who's been making everybody around him, including family members, sign non-disclosure agreements for the last 60 years, I'm sure all those contentions are true. I'm talking about a deeper kind of lie, the lie in, the, in which this whole family specializes, the grifter's lie. The lie of the self-absorbed opportunist who's motivated not by ethics, but by a possible paycheck. When asked the inevitable question, why did you wait this long to divulge what a petty, bigoted psychopath Donald Trump is, Mary Trump has said again and again that it was his policy of creating immigrant concentration camps on the southern border that finally prompted her to write a book. If you believe that, instead of the calculus of her book appearing as the 2020 presidential campaign is heating up, then I've got a condo in Queens to sell you on the cheap. Uh, but not all our books this time around are pure and simple outrages, although they are disappointing. Uh, there's Untamed, for instance, by beloved life coach and love warrior author Glennon Doyle. Untamed is her latest heavily autobiographical volume about female empowerment. Uh, this latest volume is written with Doyle's customary empathy and vividness, and I'm sure it'll garner a lot of fans for that, but uh, it feels rote and a bit tired, which is extra frustrating in an author I've enjoyed in the past. And if that's true for Doyle, it's certainly true for Kurt Anderson, uh, whose new book, Evil Geniuses, claims that America was diverted down a dark dystopian path over the last 50 years or so by a radical core of the Republican Party, aided and abetted by Wall Street and corporate robber barons, and carefully shaped by cultural support weaponized through social media. Now, Anderson is a terrific writer, and he does lots of interesting thinking on these pages, but even so, Evil Geniuses ultimately feels like a smart, cynical overreach. I mean, he has the good grace to include some rays of hope, some possible approaches to counteract the systemic rot that he himself has diagnosed, 
Uh, but the book will mainly leave you wondering if, for however virtuous a set of reasons, you've been fed a bill of goods. Uh, and, uh, well, <laughs> sorry for the downer note, but that wraps up our bill of goods for this episode of Steve Donahue, the Steve Donahue Show. Uh, I, I will sort of work hard next time to have some books that I can actually enthusiastically recommend to you. Uh, but until next time, uh, take care, everybody, and be sure to have a very bookish day. <laughs> the Steve Donahue Show is a production of CPL Radio a service of the Cedarburg Public Library located in Cedarburg, Wisconsin. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.